0: I'm Alex Mosert, and welcome to Winner Take All," where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. First topic: Where did all the workers go? Everywhere you look, every corner you pass, whether you're in the middle of the country, in a major city, workers wanted. We're hiring 20plus dollars an hour for entry, you know, very manual-oriented jobs all over the place. We've got an article here, CNBC. There are more than 10 million open jobs in the United States, the highest level ever. Yet over 1 million more jobs than unemployed people. So 10 million open jobs, 9 million on the unemployed. It doesn't make sense, right? Right? Almost one third of small business owners say they have had open positions they're unable to fill for at least three months, double the level from a year ago. Over 40% are experiencing a rising cost of worker wages. So what's the rub? Does it make any sense? Does it? What could the role of platforms and the new economy, the new digital economy, be having on these very traditional uh, measures of workforce and labor participation? Great question. Let's jump to the state of the gig economy. The gig economy is booming as Americans search for non-traditional employment. This is from July 2021. The number of independent contractors and freelancers, aka gig workers, has grown exponentially in recent years and is likely to continue accelerating as a result of COVID-19, with approximately 30 million Americans already receiving their primary income, not just a, you know, a supplemental primary income from gig work. When COVID-19 hit, many U.S. businesses found themselves more reliant on independent workers as part of their critical workforce. The trend toward an increase in the gig workforce is anticipated to continue as American workers search for non-traditional forms of employment that can offer more flexibility and a healthier lifestyle. A recent study found that 56% of employees would consider resigning if flexibility is not maintained post-pandemic. On the employer side, a recent poll uh, said nearly 65% of employers' respondents anticipated that their gig workforce would grow over the next year. So how can we kind of quantify what this means? What is the gig economy? By this study here, some 93 million workers participated in the gig economy in 2020, an increase of over a third from 2019. Gig income was up by the same amount to $1.6 trillion from $1.2 trillion. The study defines gig as temporary or part-time work contracted by independent workers for short-term engagements. Basically, it's, this is the, the platform. This is the labor marketplace, uh, service marketplace, platform economy. Uh, I've been covering this for, man, uh, at least half a decade at this point. Let's talk about Uber and Lyft. Let's talk about being able to rent your house out on Airbnb, rent a car out on GetAround or Turo. Uh, let's talk about Upwork and all these kind of uh, remote uh, um, you know, labor marketplaces. Let's talk about labor marketplaces for trucking. There's labor marketplaces to, to work on oil rigs called RigUp. They've raised uh, an absurd amount of money. 800 million dollars now called Workrise on-demand workforce management hiring platform to empower people to get hard work done started out i guess focused on you know oil rigs raised 800 million dollars right these are big companies just in these specialized there's um like Trade Hound for building material and construction contractors there's now Instacart and food delivery right uh Uber Eats DoorDash Grubhub I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. There's Dolly for, uh, you know, to use a van to go pick up a couch or a fridge in a garage sale that you got, right? There's, there's a slew of basically service marketplaces, right? You're going to hire a service, you're going to hire labor, you're going to hire time, or you're going to, you know, rent someone's car, their house, gig economy. This is the gig economy. Um, so my theory is there's two Two main reasons why you why these traditional jobs, hourly, many of them hourly jobs, um, or very kind of uh, manual labor type of jobs that could be, uh, you know, uh, um, could still be hourly, but you know, you, you have a full time uh, employer, you're on a W two, right? Those jobs are falling out of vogue because you've got you've got to come into work. Um, you, you know, have to do, you can't make your own schedule, so you don't have that flexibility, which was the first point. I think coupled with one COVID, being able to make your own schedule, being able to, um, find alternative sources of income, which you may or may not have to claim all that income to the IRS. Yes. Uh, that's a, definitely a big loophole, big concern for the federal government, um, is how do they actually get paid all this? Their, their taxes uh, from these 1099, you know, myriad of different platform uh, um, models. But, you know, you could still be getting unemployment benefits. You could still be making money on the side. And now, just recently, have the unemployment's kind of fully exhausted themselves. But I don't think that's going to magically just make all these jobs appear again. I think people have found a different way to make a living, enjoyed the flexibility. Um, enjoyed being able to make their own schedule. Maybe they're making more money. Or maybe they're just able to make enough money um, and spend more time with their family or what, you know, whatever their everyone's situation is. But it's a very different environment than having to go drive a truck, cross-country, be away from your family for days at a time. Or you say, Could I go drive for Uber? Right. Um, or could I go use Uber freight, for example, and just do one-off jobs that you know, um, you know, suit me, right. And kind of have a a mixture. You could be using multiple different apps, make a variety of different, um, cocktail of, of different work that you could be doing. Right. Um, you could walk a dog and make 20 plus dollars an hour. Okay. You can do, um, so many things, right. There are labor marketplaces to go and work in a warehouse, but you just do it on the fly, kind of on demand. I think this is a sea change in terms of the thinking around what it means to have a full-time job with a set schedule and do those uh, types of jobs now need to ultimately pay more. And what is that going to do to the cost of goods? It's going to go up. It's going to continue to go up because there's this insane labor shortage and the extension of the uh, unemployment benefits, I think is why you see, you see 9 million people on unemployment. They're not all not working. They're working, they're doing stuff on the side, okay? You can get your unemployment benefits and you can kind of go do a job here or there and you can still make, you can make even more money than you used to be making and you kind of say, wow, this is pretty good. Maybe I could just, once the unemployment benefits go away, maybe I could just keep doing this or I could do you know a few of these other on-demand gigs. And um, I think it's force a whole part of the economy to try that out. And say, you know, again, human behavior, right? How do, you, how do you get human behavior to change? Very difficult thing to do. But now you just had tens of millions of people do this for many, 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 many months and say, you know, this is actually not too bad. kind of like it. Maybe I'll just keep doing it. Maybe I don't need to go back to my full-time job. Hmm. Okay. More than a third of respondents who are doing supply chain related jobs said gig work was, its, was itself a full-time job, right? A full-time affair. Many are juggling three or four gig jobs to make up a full work week. There you go, that's a lot of people. 43% of the gig workers have a total household income of over $50,000. Although most make less than 15,000 a year from gig work alone. In the supply chain, 85% of supply chain gig workers like what they're doing, right? They like this flexibility as opposed to always being on the go or away from family, et cetera. Now let's look at Uber. This is their Q2 earnings report. In Q2, we invested in recovery by investing in drivers. And we made strong progress with monthly active drivers and careers in the U.S. increasing by nearly 420,000. Monthly active drivers increasing by 420,000 from February to July of 2021. Right? A lot. Look at this from Kroger. Kroger says finding talent is grocery operators' greatest challenge. As it teams up with Instacart, a gig economy platform company, Kroger has 20,000 job openings. We're aggressively hiring anywhere we can. One of the biggest constraints we have now is finding talented people. The retailer announced Tuesday that it had teamed up with Instacart to increase its ability to fulfill online grocery orders and get them to customers' doors. And how is Instacart solving this labor challenge with gig economy on demand labor? This is a big shift. I don't think this is going away. 93 million Americans already in the gig economy. What? 93 million. Accelerating by a third, that was 2019 to 2020. I think you're going to see as the numbers get calculated 2020, 2021, that you're going to see also another huge increase in gig economy, labor participation. This is a new way of looking and thinking about work and. It's going to change the fundamental cost structure for large traditional companies that either don't want to deploy or employ a kind of on-demand, more flexible, kind of gig economy type of labor model. You see Kroger doing the deal with Instacart, um, and if they're only sticking to what they used to do, uh, which is you know full-time jobs uh, or you, you know and really wanting w- putting that. Um, as their primary mechanism of of solving labor, that you can't do that anymore. You now need to actually have, I think, embrace the duality of yes, you have full time, um, and what constitute and what would you pay for a full time dedicated employee to uh, be in a warehouse, drive a truck, um, you know, handle supply chain fulfillment stuff, in, in, you know, in in the grocery um, back office, or you know, in your DCs, et cetera versus having flex labor. I think you have to embrace that duality. So the other bit of this is you're also seeing a massive migration in the United States. Um, States, Americans are fleeing. So this is number two. Number one is gig economy. Number two is Americans like freedom. They don't like authoritarian, restrictive government whether that's a federal government or a state government. This article highlights the states Americans are fleeing and where they're going. Sure, you can already figure this one out. New Jersey, 69.5% of people moving in or out. 69.5% of that is people moving out. Wow. Uh, Oh, New York, 66.9%. And Illinois, 66.4%. And Connecticut, where I grew up, 63.5%. Right, so that means thirty six point five percent of people moving are moving in, sixty three point five percent are moving out. Right, so you got that delta um, is the difference. California net outbound. Um, so those are the top five. Fifty eight point seven percent differential for California. And if you go down here, the net um, inbound list: Idaho seventy percent, South Carolina sixty four percent inbound. Oregon, 62.5%. Um, South Dakota, 62. Arizona, 61. North Carolina, 60. Tennessee, 60. Um, Alabama, Florida, 59.6, 59.7. I think those are the two things Americans want the flexibility. And also, when you have more Americans moving to more flexible gig economy type labor and income solutions, it also makes them easier to move and to go to states. That afford them the freedom and liberties that they have come to know and expect, rightly so, uh, and leave the states that don't appreciate those civil liberties that have been bestowed upon every American, thankfully, by our Constitution. And everyone loves to just violate the Constitution these days um, with no recourse, but that'll change eventually. So, uh, that's my theory on where all the workers are going. Next topic: Facebook big expose in the Wall Street Journal. Love these kind of intro articles that they've got. They've got a series of three articles chronicling, um, you know, known abuse in Facebook, right? Facebook understanding it's doing harm and evil um, and not doing anything about it. If anything, just, you know, turning a blind eye, actually having communications, both internal and external from partners um, and just not taking any action all the way up to Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, of course. So these are Quotes from internal memos at Facebook: We are not actually doing what we say we do publicly, right? Facebook routinely makes exception for powerful actors. This problem is pervasive, touching almost every area of the company. So the first piece is Facebook says its rules apply to all rules for thee, but not for me. That is the theme of just you know basically the world, um, and especially this Facebook expose: rules for thee, but not for me. Facebook says its rules apply to all company documents reveal a secret elite that's exempt. A secret elite comprised of millions, (laughs) millions, not like a few hundred, few thousand people. No, millions of celebrities, politicians, and other high profile users uh, receive special treatment called this X Check Program. You know, like blue check mark type theme, I guess, right? Just a myriad of examples in this. Here, uh, they, they use Neymar as an example, who showed nude photos of a woman who had accused him of rape, um, basically doxed this woman, um, and nothing was done about it, wasn't taken down, no uh, penalty for Neymar, right? Um, and it gives you know, a number of other examples. They do insane levels of content censorship and content moderation but there's clear bias in how that is done um, and enforced. Second piece. Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls. Uh, It's in its own in-depth research shows a significant teen mental health issue that Facebook plays down in public. Ben Thompson does a great job. Good little blurb in here. They came to the conclusion that some of the problems were specific to Instagram and not social media more broadly. Right? That is especially true concerning so-called social comparison, which is when people assess their own value in relation to the attractiveness, wealth, and success of others. Social comparison is worse on Instagram, states Facebook. Facebook's own deep dive into teen girl body image issues in 2020, noting that TikTok, a short video app, is grounded in performance, while users on Snapchat, a rival photo, and video sharing app are sheltered by jokey filters that keep the focus on the face. In contrast, Instagram focuses heavily on the body and lifestyle, right? all social media have these problems, sure, but even Facebook is admitting internally that that this problem is actually even further exacerbated on Instagram given the, basically, the, the interaction style, the content style on the platform relative to other content social media platforms, right? It's even worse on Instagram. So they know this, they downplay it externally, they don't really do anything materially to address it internally, and just the problem continues on. Third article, Facebook tried to make its platform a healthier place. It got angrier instead. Internal memos show how a big 2018 change in the algorithm uh, rewarded outrage and that Zuckerberg resisted proposed fixes. This is exactly, we had Tim Kendall. He was like uh, first director of monetization at Facebook way, 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 way back in the beginning. Um, He's testified in front of Congress. We interviewed him on the show a few months ago. This is exactly the kind of stuff we talked about with him. In the fall of 2018, Jonah Peretti, CEO of BuzzFeed, emailed the top official at Facebook. <clears throat> the most divisive content that publishers produced was going viral on the platform, he said, creating an incentive to produce more of it. We've talked about this on the show for months now, right? The algorithm rewards engagement at all costs. The algorithm wants to sell more ads. The algorithm has learned that the more incendiary, the more triggering, the more exacerbating content that proliferates, fake or not. Probably the more fake, the better, for that matter. The more engagement it gets, the more eyeballs, the more shares, the more clicks. The blah, 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 right algorithm rewards that kind of content. This is back 2018. BuzzFeed CEO is saying, "Hey guys, um, the look at this article of ours: 21 things that almost all white people are guilty of saying." Um, this thing blew up, and. Um, you know, it's starting this this, you know, race war, race politics, all this stuff. Um, hey, uh, CEO of BuzzFeed emails Facebook says he's saying that he blamed this ma- a major ho- overhaul Facebook had given to its newsfeed algorithm earlier that year to boost, quote, "meaningful social interactions actually is now rewarding. This kind of content, divisive content, incendiary content. We've covered this on the show. Now it's coming out in these memos. Really great read. Um, you know, you can go deeper for more examples, but that's mainly the the gist of these three. I expect there to be more. Um clearly, they've you know, this has been leaked. Um, and you know, I, I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. It just goes to show that Facebook is acting like a publisher. They have moved very far away from the world of being a neutral, non-biased platform. They have no idea how to properly act as a publisher. The com- this problem is completely out of control. Um, and they just, uh, <laughs> they just make the problem worse uh, time and time again. And don't provide any transparency into what they're doing. Platform content censorship is not okay. It's not American. It's not why these platforms exist. It goes against the very grain of their business model. Whether it's Nicki Minaj being silenced, whether it's President Trump still being kicked off of social media, it's completely inappropriate. Americans will not stand for it. Change will come. And this kind of stuff is all in the fight uh, to make this, uh, to, to bring this fight to big tech and make a difference. Last, cu- last topic. Apple is so lackluster. Steve Jobs just gave Tim Cook rather than all these articles. Tim Cook, look at how much value Tim Cook has created. Tim Cook has created more value than like any other CEO in the history of CEOs. Tim Cook is not that impressive, gang. Tim Cook was given a tech platform monopoly on a silver platter and said, Tim, just don't screw this thing up. And he has not screwed it up. He's done a very good job managing it. But look at, look at their new iPhone launch. Okay. This is October 2020, Apple introduces iPhone 12 Pro, iPhone Pro 12 Max, whatever. Best iPhone ever features the powerful A14 Bionic all new design with ceramic shield, pro camera system, LiDAR scanner, and the best Super Retina XDR display ever on an iPhone. It's like, of course this should be the best display because this is the newest and best model. What is so special about this, right? If it wasn't the best display and it's the new phone, why would you ever even think about getting it, right? Here is the new iPhone 13, a dramatically more powerful camera system, same thing that they keep on saying every year, a display so responsive and every interaction feels new again, literally the same thing as every year before this, the world's fastest smartphone chip, the same thing, exceptional durability, Okay, the same thing. And hugely, it's literally the five same things every year. There's nothing new. It just says, Hey, if you want a new iPhone, this is the one to get. And there's just no innovation with this company. Apple TV Plus, gang, that's what they got. That's, that's their big deal these days. But yikes. Thoroughly unimpressed. They'll still do well because they've been, they have a great business model. Not built by Tim Cook, built by Steve Jobs, taken over and ran and scaled by Tim Cook but credit should be given where credit is due. And it's much more so to Steve Jobs than it is Tim Cook. That is it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. I will talk to you soon.